What up, fuckers? It's Christina Hutchinson. And Corinne Fisher. You are about to listen to a clip from Guys We Fucked, the anti-slut-shaming podcast. On this week's episode, we talk to psychotherapist Alyssa Marie. We talk anxiety in relationships and first dates. We talk attachment styles. We read a crazy New York Post article uh, about a lot of uh, what I would call incestuous sex, but you make the decision for yourself. We answer an interesting email from a fucker if you want to hear the whole thing you're going to head over to uh apple pie i not and oh it's right there you're going to head over to apple.co slash gwf where you can subscribe to the luminary channel and hear the whole fucking thing and you're going to want to do that because what you're missing out on a lot is the answer so you are a therapist what what yes. what can you can you intro- tell us what all you do reiki what what's like the scope of what you do Okay. So I'm a licensed clinical social worker, which means that I am a mental health therapist. I am in private practice. I own a group practice. Um, I also contribute to writings with different magazines and I talk about anxiety, trauma, um, depression within my group practice. There is a Reiki healer. So I don't do the Reiki, but there is a Reiki healer because I do believe that there's just kind of like a holistic way to treat the human body, the human spirit, the mind. Absolutely. Yeah. it feels like Western mm-hmm. medicine kind of missed a lot of stuff. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like the, the way that the a way that a patient is treated. Um, I was, I was listening to this Ted talk and it was like, wow, that's a really fucking good point that uh, therapists, it's the one area of doctors where the specialist doesn't actually look at the organ they're treating, which I thought that was very interesting. I'm like, oh yeah, no one's ever taken a brain scan of, of me to, you know, to, before they start therapy. Um, and I've seen, I saw a psychiatrist once and that, that was, it wasn't even a thing. I've never even heard of that. Um, so I just, yeah, it's really interesting to see how Western medicine approaches people's kind of one note. So it seems like you have a more well-rounded approach to making somebody feel, feel less better. like shit. Yeah. yeah. Amen. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so when you're treating, when you're treating people for trauma, do you, are you someone who like, I don't want to say prescribes, but do you recommend uh, other holistic methods as part of your practice personally? I do. So it really, it's one of those things where, you know, everybody is truly unique and everybody is truly different. So what might work for one person may not work for another person, but overall, yeah, I do recommend other modalities. I do recommend energy healing for some people. I do recommend therapy. I do recommend medication, um, EMDR. There's just Mm -hmm. so many things. I do EMDR. Yeah. Yes. That and EMDR, I, the eye movement, the rapid eye movement. Yeah. Yeah. I'm also an EMDR therapist. Could you um, explain the, how that works and why that works as I'm, I'm like, Oh, I've, I've read about it once and I remember being interested in it, but then I forgot what it is. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's super fascinating. And it's even as I'm going to describe it, I think it's still going to be very kind of like hard to understand unless you're actually in it. Mm -hmm. But the premise is trauma is stored in the body. So the issue is in the tissue right? So it's like held in our cells. So you can talk about the things you've been through verbally, rationally, cognitively, but you can still experience the anxiety, the panic and flashbacks. So that's kind of where the trauma is stored. It's like physically in us. So what EMDR does is it is a practice where your eye movements go back and forth, you know, like this, and it's thought to stimulate REM sleep. And so while your eye movements are going back and forth like this, the idea is that you're able to recall 
things that you've experienced both up here, like memories and over here physically mm. in short spurts. So it's like exposures, but in short spurts. Mm-hmm. Ah, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can really say that would be helpful. What do you, do you ever, I, I'm really interested. I, I've experienced childhood trauma. I kind of just discovered the the concept of childhood trauma um, about five years ago, I would say. And it felt like a huge click for me because it's like, oh, all of these things that you were like, is that fucked up? And then you get confirmation that, oh, a child shouldn't actually go through that. Like, that's a really intense, your nervous system was overworked. And there's a lot of people on this planet whose nervous systems as children were overworked. And these Um, people being triggered, like psychologically triggered. I feel like it happens a lot. Um, What are the, what are the signs to that, that point to you being psychologically triggered? Cause it's like one of the, it seems like one of the fastest ways to prevent that from happening is to be aware as it's happening. Mm -hmm. What are like, Uh, what are the signs that you tell people to look out for if you, if you do? Well, absolutely. So there's uh, this thing. It's like if the situation is like level four, but your response to it is level 20. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Been there. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And your response to it is like level 20. That's a sign that something else is being activated within you. That's a sign that there's something deeper going on. How do you you figure out, is there a way to figure out what the deeper thing is so you can nip it in the bud? Because it's like, the talk therapy, you know, you logically understand something, right. And you can go, Oh, okay. Yes. That fucked me up. Okay. This was mom Mm -hmm. did this or dad did this or whatever, whatever your experience was. But uh, is there a way to pinpoint the moment that keeps being repeated? Mm -hmm. So in EMDR, we do this thing called the float back technique. So let's say in present day situation, something is happening with you and a friend and your reaction is like level 20, even though what actually happened was really kind of not that, terrible. Yeah. Um, so in EMDR, we would kind of focus on the feeling that it's activating in you. So it's like, I felt abandoned. I felt rejected, you know, whatever your feeling is valid. And then, so the technique we do is called float back technique. So it's like, okay, tap into that feeling. And can you remember a time where you felt that way before? Mm. You remember, and then you kind of just keep floating back. Can you, can you go earlier than that? Can you go earlier than that? And then we kind of just see the earliest memory you can go where that same feeling was activated kind of the first time. Ah, okay. So you go mm-hmm. to the first time that you remember it. It's yeah. easy for me. Mine's all the past 10 years. She's always like, can you go back? I'm Mine like, oh, it was, two, it was two boyfriends yeah. ago. I have, Insta- <laughs> I have Instagram evidence of my trauma. Um, yeah, mine all happened when I was a kid. And I feel like even this morning, like I walk, I'll, I'll get in these modes where the t- I have a temper. Oh my God. And I'm even as it's happening, I'm like, why the fuck are you this angry, Christina? And then that only, of course, makes it worse. Um, so it's really hard to ground yourself when you're in the midst of like an anger rage. Um and then as someone, okay, so uh, as someone, I'm around a lot of people and perhaps dating one who people who react it like kind of exactly like you said, I actually had a talk with someone the other day. I'm like, this thing happened. It was like a level two and you reacted like a level 25. So like how, how, tell how do I do? Cause I, I find, I, I just told him, I was like, I was like, it's really scary. Even though the anger was not directed towards me, it was actually directed at an inanimate object. But like, it's, I was like, you have to understand that's like very scary for a person yeah. to be around. So can I, I was like, can you please handle whatever that is? But like, how, how can I be there for someone, but also create a boundary that makes me feel safe in a situation like that? What do you want to say? 
uh, uh, react like a normal fucking human being, but that's rude. <laughs> so I would never say that. But you know, as somebody who I have, the, I have this problem as she's talking about, like I have it and I, and I, uh, I don't know. I feel like that would might help if I heard that. I mean, it's like, well, you have From to keep in mind, we're all comedians. So like sometimes like roasting is, is helpful, but like, this is like someone who I'm like newly dating and like, mm. you know, very good at communication. Cause Gen Z, um, I'm a millennial, but, and then, but it's just, I just don't, and it, this is not, this is just a something that happened recently, but it happens throughout my life, especially dealing with a lot of artistic people, just like very high reaction levels. And I think I have the opposite, which is like, I underreact almost everything. I'm kind of like non, not faced by very much, which is helpful as somebody who gets <laughs> triggered a lot. I, me, when she underreacts, it, cal- it calms me down. But, but can't, it also can't be fun for you, though. I can't imagine. Well, I mean, it doesn't, I just like, I, I'm not like faking underreaction. I'm just like, it just, it takes a lot to really like phase me because I feel like very, I feel very safe in me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's other people that make me feel unsafe all the, pretty much all the time. Not like physically, more like emotionally. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So I think it's important to just state what it is that you need. So first you have to identify what it is that you need. Do you need space? Do you need a different tone? Do you need um, to reconvene in like 20 minutes? Do you need to go for a walk? Mm-hmm. So d- try not to focus it on what the other person needs to do because that's right. when people can get really defensive. Totally. Yeah. But just focus yeah. on what it is that you need. What, what can you control within yourself? So like, I love the idea of stepping away and I'm a big step away person because usually if I go walk away for 10, 20 minutes, I can come back. I'm pretty much never so mad unless it like, right. I mean, I can't even really think of any times, but in my experience, people take, like people feel like that's like abandonment. And I go, well, yeah. I mean, it's not because I'm, I'm walking away so that I don't, I don't also meet your energy that is at an irrational level right now, you know, because for me, that, that's just like step away and be with the person I feel safe with, which is me, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So- and so that's a lot, and that's logical, but people get so upset when you do that. Yeah. Abandonment yeah. issues get like, it's easy to put salt in that wound, man. <laughs> I it's wish not, it wasn't. I wish everyone would have abandoned me. <laughs> <laughs> this show is sponsored by Better Help. Getting stuff off your chest is incredible. It's so therapeutic. We all carry around different stressors. Some of them are big. Some of them are small. A lot of them are very big. Uh, but we keep them bottled up, and it could start affecting us negatively. And then we act like a jerk to the people we love. And we're like, this is not how I want to be. Therapy has saved my life personally. There are so many benefits of it. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. And it isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. Although if you have experienced major trauma, highly recommend. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designated to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a questionnaire and you get matched with a licensed therapist and you could switch at any time. Finding a therapist is like dating. They're not all going to work out in the first try. BetterHelp understands that. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash guys to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash guys. Especially if you're a loving and caring person, you want to at the same time fix that and be like, I'm not abandoning you and then rescue that and then heal that and then just prove. However, the boundary is that's not your work. Right. Mm-hmm. That's, their work. That's your job as a friend, as a coworker, as a whatever the relationship is. It's your job. Every you it's fair to ask to tell to expect somebody to be able to handle themselves. 
Mm-hmm. You would think but people get real yeah. pissed. And, and I've, I've, I can't imagine that I haven't been there. I had to have been there before because I have abandonment stuff too. And that yeah. it makes you nasty. Abandonment issues make you a nasty like little Like a bitch. desperation comes up. Like a yeah. And it's gross. Like, yeah. Ugh. Yeah. And then when you're self-aware on top of that, you're like, oh, I know how gross I'm being. Ew. I hate myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you just want to mm-hmm. fix it. It's a whole mess. Mm-hmm. You want to get rid of it. You want it to just, yeah. You don't want to feel it. Yeah. Have you heard of Heller work? No. What is that? Oh man. Okay. So it's, um, I think it was Joseph Heller is the name of the practitioner who came up with it. It's basically, um, body work. You, you go on a massage table and it's body work. Um, and it's getting the stored trauma out of your actual body instead of doing talk therapy. It combines very minor talk therapy. Um, but it like, I, the very first session I had, I had read about it in this book. Um, and so I just kind of Googled it and was like, Oh, perfect. There's a woman who does it on my block or uh, a couple (laughs) blocks over went to her and I've been seeing her for like six months now. She will touch my stomach And I'll just start crying as if, you know, when you see a kid cry and it's jarring and you're like, oh my God, that child is going through such turmoil. It's like that, like instantly. But the crazy thing is, as I'm crying, I'm not actually sad. It's just like, it truly feels like an exorcism. And she's like manipulating like my stomach muscles and it's wild. But it's like, I'm going to have to look this up. It's, you know, it really in line with her, the practitioner and I had a, a big conversation before the first session about The Body Keeps the Score, oh, which yeah. was a revolutionary book. When I read it, I was so happy to have found that because I feel like it gave me a lot of answers to, <laughs> to personal problems. Mm-hmm. It helps you understand why your reactions are the way that they are. Yeah. Yeah. How, how do you recommend um, EDMR is certainly, um, something you can do, um, to be less reactive. What are like some basic things that anybody can do to be less reactive? So there are a few things. The first is self-awareness, right? So you have to just be aware that your reactions can be intense and you have to also acknowledge that it can be problematic. If you don't Mm. think it's a problem, then you're never going to want to fix it. So the first step is self-awareness. And then to be less reactive, um, there's just regular coping strategies like breathing exercises, learning what you need for your nervous system to calm down. So that can be going for a walk, listening to music, taking a break, things like that. Um, On just like a cognitive thinking level, you want to recognize what your thought patterns are and the stories that you're telling yourself about a situation. Mm. Typically, when we get reactive, um, these negative thought schemas come up. So these are like patterns in our thinking, like everybody hates me. um, Everybody's against me. Nobody understands me. You want to be very aware of the stories you're telling yourself and then just take the time to unpack where those stories come from. And then just, it's also a lot of retraining your mind to think in a different way, whether it's neutral, positive, whatever perspective taking, but just kind of unraveling those negative schemas. Yeah. Do you often find that it's not the negative voices in people's heads Mm -hmm. that kind of caught, you know, I often feel like when I, the anger gets activated, I'm at a fork in the road. I can go left, which is Mm -hmm. let's get even more pissed and Mm -hmm. do some damage. Or Mm -hmm. I can go right where I usually involves a nap or like meditating right away something, something that's like drastically calming. Uh, and, uh, but I eventually always realize that that voice isn't mine. It belonged to mom or dad or like, you know, oh, that shit, that, cause it's like, I learned to be that mean to myself somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like, yeah, yeah. So I always find that that's very helpful to identify 
who was the first person that said this to me that I'm now regurgitating it to myself. Yep. Yep. And another thing that I like to ask clients is like, whose voice does this sound like? Mm. Who does this sound like? Who does it remind you of? Yeah. Cause it kind of, you know, it kind of has to be somebody else's voice, right? Like uh, children, when you're born, you're so malleable, obviously. And, um, children out of all species of living creatures have the longest childhood. They're with their parents Mm -hmm. for so long. 18 years is a long ass time when you think Mm -hmm. of other animals and how they operate. Um, and then it kind of makes sense why we're all fucking raging maniacs a little bit. Um, but, uh, yeah, I feel like you, you have to learn to be that cruel to yourself. It has to be mm-hmm. taught to you. Just like, just like, you know, shitty behaviors and shitty attitudes are always either taught to you by example or, you know, drilled into you as a result of being mistreated. Absolutely. Our childhood lays the blueprint for how we experience ourselves and the people around us. Yeah. Um, everything that we do is learned. Yeah. Whether from society or within our immediate family, it's all learned. It's all learned behavior. So Yes. Um, how do you recognize codependency in a relationship? So the simplest way I think to define codependency is like you, you feel this need to fix rescue or save the other person at the expense of your own mental health. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's like loyalty at the expense of your mental health might be codependency. And it's this like, uh, difficulty to identify where one person ends and you begin. So you kind of just feel like you're just like in this melded. Yeah. Like together. Um, and a core symptom of it is it's at the expense of your mental health. How do you know when your mental health is being comp? I feel like some people don't understand that your mental health is being, their mental health is being compromised because that's just the way they've lived their whole entire life. Like you don't understand that you're in fight or flight until the very first time you actually calm down and realize that's what you're supposed to be like all the time. Mm-hmm. How do you, okay. So the question is like, how do you recognize you're in a codependent situation? Mm-hmm. Am I trying to fix this person? Am I trying to save this person? Am I trying to rescue this person? And am I having these constant thoughts? Like we'll be happy when uh, they right. change. We get they, past this hump. We just have to get past this event. We have to get past this thing. Yeah. yeah. They will be happy when they sober up. We'll be happy mm. when they stop hurting me. It's just kind of like, you're just waiting for this person to change um, constantly. Uh, yeah. And then you're putting in also, I think more work than they are. You're looking, you're, you're doing all the legwork for them to change. You're, 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 you're more of a, like a caretaker than you are a partner. So a woman in a straight relationship. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, I think like what I look for, like what I look for in our, like, I'm like, I'm like pretty anti-relationship, but I am in a relationship right now and it's going well, you know, knock on whatever this is. <laughs> and so, I mean, what I look for as like a sign of like, you know, success in a relationship to me is like, do I feel as at peace with this person as I do by myself? Cause like we go yeah. from what, it, where is my favorite space and place to be? And it's alone in my apartment with my dog, a hundred percent. That's like when I feel good. I feel unbothered. I don't feel like uh, energy is taken away from me. So I think like sometimes maybe like it's a feeling to almost compare it to. And if you feel like you're drastically straying from, you know, that when you're with someone else, like maybe that's not the person Mm -hmm. because so many people can be draining or make you feel like, you know, people talk about butterflies, but I'm like, that's anxiety. Uh, You know, like you can like be excited to see someone, but you shouldn't be like, getting a stomach ache. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, a subtle sign too, is like, are you keeping secrets from people? 
about the reality of your relationship. Ah, yes, yes, yes. That's oh, a good yeah. one. Oh, and you <laughs> always know when you say it's one way and you know it's not and you feel yeah. it and you're like, ah, mm-hmm. shit, this relationship's mm-hmm. doomed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Are you lying to everybody around you about how it's yeah. going? Right. That's kind of like a subtle sign. That's a good signpost. <laughs> That's a good one to look out for. Cause I feel like it happens a lot and you could kind of, yeah. Mm-hmm. Or I feel like also like making, having, uh, having to make excuses on behalf of your partner. I definitely had a situation where I had to like make a lot of excuses on the, on behalf of the person. And it's because I loved him, but I'm like, Jesus Christ. I, I feel like I'm like a PR crisis manager mm-hmm. for you. You're the Ooh. Olivia Pope to your boyfriend. Yeah. yeah. You don't want to do that. Yeah. You're finding yourself like constantly justifying or rationalizing or intellectualizing or trying to, you know, especially if you're a person who understands mental health and childhood, just being like, oh, it's because of this, what they went through. And then it's, where does it end? When does it end? Right. Exactly. I I honestly, there's, and I kind of still think this, but I know that I'm wrong, which is good. Uh, But it seems like relationships in general are not healthy things. Like romantic relationships are just for I don't know. I don't know. They just, I can't imagine a healthy one because I've never witnessed it. Mm-hmm. What do you, the, oh, oh, go ahead. I think the opposite of that can be true. Um, so? Relationships, especially when they are healthy, can be the grounds for healing. We actually heal in healthy relationships. I think there are a lot of healthy relationships that do exist. Um, and it's almost like your body will know when it's in one. Mm, yeah. And, and, yeah. And they often don't get talked about because mm-hmm. they're boring, but you know, mm-hmm. I feel like maybe we should, <laughs> what does a, can you paint the picture of a healthy relationship for us? So we have sure. an idea. Yeah. So even in healthy relationships, there's going to be rupture. There's going to be, even in healthy relationships, there's going to be times of disconnection, mm-hmm. but because of your security within yourself and within that person, those times of disconnections aren't as activating as they might be in an unhealthy relationship. And then when there is rupture in that relationship, there's also repair. So, um, abuse, stonewalling, avoidance, things like that aren't as present because there's communication and there's understanding and then there's healing, there's moving forward. So you're going to have rupture, but then the repair is going to be what characterizes it as healthy. Mm, Right. Right. You don't use things against each other. You like Mm -hmm. actually move on and solve, Mm -hmm. solve the Mm -hmm. thing. And now, now a lot of people, you, I know you mentioned you like to talk about attachment styles. I feel like that's been like a very hot topic because everyone's reading this like attachment style book. Um, but I mean, how like, okay, so like what is there a most common attachment style that you see clients come in with? I think um, people tend to come into therapy when they're in a crisis in the relationship because of a lot of anxiety in the relationship. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think I've tended to witness people with anxious attachment styles come into therapy, mm-hmm. um, though, though there's a range of attachment styles that come into therapy. And just to note that um, your attachment style with your partner may be different than your attachment style with your friends, maybe different mm. than your attachment style at work. So it's not something that's like static. It's something that just kind of changes. Can you change when you have like an established attachment style in a relationship, like a, a like a, an avoidant and uh, what's the other one that's the, like they go together? That's very toxic. Disorganized or avoidant and um, anxious. Yes, yeah. anxious. So if you have an avoidant and an anxious, is there any way to turn that bus around, or is that just a dream? There is thing? no. There absolutely is. So it goes back to self awareness and educating yourself on your attachment style, where it comes from, and then it's also learning to be vulnerable and to trust and to let your guard down and to communicate. It's very uncomfortable, but both people have to do the work. 
Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. How, what, what are the, what are the signposts of being vulnerable romantic in a romantic relationship? I mean, like what, how do you, how do you be, I I think there's also, and also, especially in this day and age of like oversharing, I think people need to like really understand the difference between being vulnerable and then just oversharing, which is also like a lack of boundaries because uh, we get a lot of emails from people and I'm, and they're, I'm like, you're telling these people way too much. You're giving way too much of yourself way too early, which is also if the other person has any where, wherewithal is scary and makes you come off like a little bit psychotic. When you say psychotic, do you mean clingy? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, obviously okay. I'm using yeah, it. In no, a colloquial, I'm, I'm not using it in a professional uh-huh. way. I'm uh-huh. using it in like a colloquial uh-huh. way. Uh-huh. Um, I think then it goes into what is the purpose of my disclosing this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What is the purpose? Yeah. What's my end game? Right. People don't, yeah. People need to know only like a little bit about you as you, as you go along. And I mean, part of it is like, what do they deserve to know about you? Yeah. And part of it, what is, is, yeah. What do they need to know about you at that time? Is this something that they need to know in this moment to explain a behavior, to take us to the next level? But it's like, if you tell everyone everything about you in the first five dates, <laughs> it's going to be a real boring rest of your time. Mm-hmm. Like, or you're gonna have to do something crazy then and then have to, you know, to get create a story for yourself. Thanks for listening to that clip with our guest this week, Alyssa Marie. If you want to hear the entire conversation, which I know you do, head on over to apple.co slash GWF. You can get a luminary subscription on the Apple Podcasts app. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at betterhelp.com. That's betterhelp.com.